Welcome to another episode of Break the Bias, hosted by myself, Jessica Cook, and joined today by Jason Boltund. We tapped into this year's International Women's Day theme, and we've been taking the opportunity to speak to some amazing Perth women. Today, we are speaking with Ali Local. Ali is Director of Camerton Consulting, and she works to help businesses find a productive way to implement diversity and inclusion programs with a particular interest in gender equity and closing the gender pay gap. Ali, welcome. Uh, Why don't you start by telling us a bit about yourself and your journey? Thank you. Uh, So my name's Ali Local. I um, originally hail from the UK, came to Perth um, 16 years ago. Um, And in Perth, I mainly held roles in sort of an HR sort of space. So I started out as most people do who who are from the UK in oil and gas, um, and then moved into um, working in law firms, which was an interesting exercise, um, and have a bit of a, um, a love for law firms and the partnership and all that kind of stuff. It's a strange one, but yeah. Um, And then uh, moved to EY and worked um, consulting in lots of different areas. Um, But I'd say my most favourite gig was at the NDIS. So working with people with a disability um, and rolling out the NDIS in WA. Um, And then... um, Started up my own consultancy about three years ago um, with the intent, as you've kind of mentioned, was really around helping businesses understand what the future of work means for them um, and how they can achieve what it is that they needed to, what they wanted to achieve. And interestingly, for me at least, COVID was, I think for most organisations as well, this kind of accelerator in relation to what the future of work meant. So lots of conversations um, that I was having years ago um, when I was at EY and when I was at, law f- at the law firm at Jackson McDonald was around, well, what does the future of work mean? What does that look like in terms of where people are going to be working? Lo and behold, one of those future of works that came true was around remote working. Um, so the future of work means different things to different people. Some people have this idea that it's kind of AI and we're all going to be, you know, we're going to be jobless and all those sorts of things. Um, when to my mind, it's about the smaller incremental things that people do to get to what their future of work, future of work means for them. Um, and then in a non-work context, um, I uh, have a very cute but loud um, little dachshund called Humphrey. Um, I'm married to Ben, um, who I'm picking up from the airport this afternoon, who's been on a motorbike trip for the last two weeks. Um, And I also make furniture. Um, And tomorrow is my 40th birthday. So happy birthday birthday for tomorrow. Thank you very much. (laughs) I did just drop that in for the more the merrier of the holidays. Um, And so I'm planning on spending um, or having four birthday parties this year. So the first one was in Ibiza last weekend. Um, I've got another one this weekend. Uh, There'll be another one in probably August. And then another one towards the end of the year. Nice. So I'm celebrating my 40th year in style. Fabulous. Yeah. What a year. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, speaking on what you're currently doing, which mm-hmm. is at Camerton Consulting, can yep. you tell us a bit about what you guys do for businesses and how you're kind of um, working with them? Yeah. So, um, so if I take, for example... Um, one of so one of the clients I'm I've got a few. One of the clients I'm working for at the moment um, is looking at 
essentially, as most organisations, I think, in Perth at the moment, are around this kind of skill shortage. But theirs has been going for quite a long time. They work in the IT industry. And so they have very niche, for want of a better word, roles that um, need to be fulfilled based on client requirements. Um, So as you may imagine, cybersecurity has become the biggest thing. Um, And so one of the challenges that they have is thinking about if the way in which people work and what encourages and entices people to work in organizations isn't necessarily just money anymore. Um, Then it's about, well, what does your, and it's an old school term, but what does your employee value proposition look like? So what does it mean to entice people to come and work in your organization. Is this where having like ping pong tables and foosball tables? Oh, don't get me started. (laughs) Um, That does not a wellness environment make. Um, Yeah, I had a conversation a while ago with someone about like fruit bowls and yoga does not mean that people are going to be happy at work. Anyway, so... um, so it's about rather than thinking about that kind of whole deal around what got us here will get us there it's thinking more creatively about what does our value proposition look like and it's and so what that means is that it's an entire of organization view of what you need to do in that so one org- you know one entity all oh right well it'll just be the pay scale is between this and this so we'll just pay them that and that and we might just bump it up a bit and we'll do some stuff to because you know everybody comes to work to get paid um that was a interesting look um the the fact is is that when you're thinking about uh different demographics of people in the workforce you have competition for talent that I don't think the West Australian market has probably seen ever, ever, unless you're an oil and gas engineer 16 years ago, in which it was a slightly different thing. But we're now looking at a different type of industry, a different kind of much more fast moving, um, an industry in which you can work anywhere and still do the job. Whereas in oil and gas, it's really that you have to kind of be near where the oil and gas is. Um, so the kind of the, this, the type of individuals and what those individuals are looking for is different. So just paying them more is not going to get you what you want. So it's not about ping pong tables and all of that nonsense. It's about, (laughs) is the work interesting? Is the work challenging? Is it, does it support the other things that I want to do outside of work? And so there is an awesome research entity in Perth at Curtin University called the uh, the Centre for Transformative Work Design. And they do some awesome work in relation to what job design looks like. And when you're thinking about designing jobs, um, it's not necessarily for the individual in mind. It's thinking about more long term, what does the organisation, what's the strategy of that organisation? What is it that they're seeking to achieve? Can the work be, how can the work be done that suits everybody rather than just it having to suit the organisation itself? And so, well, what does that look like? And it also means that you can't just do it in one department because there's likely to be crossovers. So it's not just, so the problem is is more of a wicked problem in that we're not just talking about giving someone an extra five grand. We're actually talking fundamentally about how that organisation is structured Um, We're talking about how the work is done, where it's done, um, and really what that means is a an organization to have quite visionary leadership and leaders who are capable and um, interested and understand what that might look like um, and be able to make that happen. Now, when I say the work that I have done, the organization that I was working with wasn't quite 
at the point at which they had all got on board, got on board, and they decided what they needed to do and all those sorts of things. But there was certainly an understanding that they needed to think differently about how they were going to recruit people and where they were going to recruit people from, um, and that it wasn't just about bumping the salary up. Um, and I think that there are lots of other organisations who are in a similar boat um, who are having to think more creatively about what it is that they're doing and how they're doing it. So the work that I enjoy doing is having conversations with people around, well, what is what does it mean for their organisation? And it may mean that actually they don't need to make too many changes to what they're already doing. They just might need to tweak things here and there. And these are the things that can be tweaked um, rather than a wholesale bathwater baby yeah. all that kind mm. of stuff mm. and so would you say that the work that you do for these businesses is kind of important in mainly the sense of recruiting is that it's or do you kind of cover all the aspects? whole shebang yeah. because yeah. in for any organization having a certain amount of um turnover mm-hmm. so um individuals who voluntarily leave the business is a good thing because it means that you have an opportunity to get individuals into the business who've seen other things happen in different places and kind of so you essentially build the collective hives intelligence around what does good look like and and, and any organisation who is worth their salt is probably looking to be better than better tomorrow than they were yesterday. So a certain degree of turnover is good, but making sure that you aren't just thinking about the people who join your business is where it gets interesting. And a lot of effort for most HR firm or most HR organisation um, entities is about well, what are all the new people, so the graduates and the thing and the what's it's, whereas. 95 if not more percent of the people who are already in your business are people who actually need to be looked after and have the same amount of care and attention and thought put into them in your business already so it's not necessarily just about recruitment it's Mm. about everybody in that organization and so I think the challenges that um, OD and HR practitioners have is about thinking about all of the people in their organization and how do they accommodate the needs wants requirements um, in order for everybody to be doing their best work rather than just the people that you hire and sort out the induction and, oh, you're in six months later, thanks for coming. We don't, you know, we don't, we don't need to t- see you anymore. Yeah. Um, so it's not just about attraction. The retention piece is where I think a lot of organisations kind of miss and hope that just bumping it up by five, 500 bucks or bonuses or whatever is actually going to keep people when in, in an fact environment where sorry to interrupt well, yeah it's more than that yeah. in an environment where we're pushing more towards remote and hybrid work mm. and that's sort of thing, people are spending less, less time in the office yeah. less contact hours that sort of thing does that make that a shitload harder in true legal speak it depends um <laughs> so it makes it harder if the leadership of the organisation, the managers and the leaders of that organisation aren't adept at being able to lead people remotely. That's where it gets challenging. Um, but if you have if you have a, a kind of a leadership team, and I know I sound very kind of um, fantastical and, and um, almost 
um, unicorn-esque in that it's almost nigh on impossible, but it is possible and I have seen it, is you have leadership teams who all understand what it is that they're supposed to be doing. They've got clarity and understand what their role is within that organisation and they cascade that to the rest of their team is the most important thing that I think any leader can do Um, because it means that if everyone has clarity about what it is that they need to be doing, everyone is going in the same direction, that whole rowing analogy. Um, (laughs) But it has such an impact on everybody's understanding about what it is that they're supposed to be doing. So if when you are leading teams remotely and all of that um, understanding is there, then it's easier to actually lead a team with that kind of premise intact rather than hoping people that will understand what it is that they need to be doing. So being clear and being kind of communicating what it is and all of that and and relatively frequent communication, I think is really important. And it may be that actually it does take more time initially to establish those relationships because I was talking to someone right at the beginning of COVID and they were hiring somebody um, and their challenge was and we kind of coined the term around relationship capital. They had the capital, relationship capital with the other people in their teams. They knew who their dog was, la, la, la. They, but, that, it, but the point is, is that you don't necessarily need to see that person to build up that capital. It takes time. Yeah. And I think there's an assumption that you can expedite that or people had forgotten that actually it did take time to build those relationships with people. Um, and yes, seeing them in the office and those kind of intermittent chats was made it slightly easier so you just need to have to work at it and there needs to be an appointment in the diary to do it rather than that kind of so it's like hashtag organized fun or organized meeting that kind of thing so So it's a little bit less organic and more correct yeah but i think that once you get over that potentially awkward feeling of the sort of the structuredness then that relationship capital that you build with your team actually grows um and you find new ways to connect um, the amount of times that I played Pictionary during lockdown using my laptop was <laughs> quite fun. Um, so you just have, you, I think it provided people, or it provide working from working remotely provides people with the necessity to think more creatively about how they connect with people and and just be more deliberate about it, um, mm. which I think is a good thing. It means that people have to think about it rather than just making assumptions. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And um, moving on to another topic. So I mentioned before that you're interested in gender equity Mm. and closing the gender pay gap. Um, Can you talk a bit more on this and maybe kind of about what you think could be done to achieve this? (laughs) Okay. If I could answer that question, I'd be a millionaire. Before we dive into that, do you want to talk more about what the gender pay gap actually is? Okay. Yeah. So... Ooh, okay. So um, <laughs> I've got lots of things running around my head. And like, and the first place I would start um, is the gender pay gap is essentially the diff. in fundamental terms, it's the difference that men and women are paid for doing the same role. So that's what it, that's kind of fundamentally what it means. Really... Um, from an HR point of view, that can be very difficult to actually manage and quantify and all those sorts of things. Um, but 
the place that I usually start when I have these sorts of conversations is around, the first place is around the gender data gap. So the gender data gap is something or is a term that is coined by one of my most favourite ladies in the whole wide world um, called Caroline Cridaro Perez. She has written a book called Invisible Women. She just released a podcast last week uh, called Visible Women. Um, and it's about the, the gender data gap. And it's about the fact that data has not been dis sex disaggregated. And so lots of decisions are made based on the average white male human male default specimen. So the podcast last week was about um, PPE and face masks and COVID. Um, so the book is infuriating in that I could only read a chapter at a time because the amount of data that she had to support her claim that there is no sex disaggregated data is just oh, irritating. <laughs> um, but it was fascinating to read in terms of when, when that's um, uh, scaled up, what that means. And to my mind, the, the way that I kind of think about it is the gender pay gap is a, a, is a subset or is a variation in the whole gender data gap piece. Because if we start in a few places, so we start, sorry, my brain's going all over the place. The, the first place I would start is that there are lots of organisations who wouldn't necessarily, who may not even admit that they've got a problem, but they've not sex disaggregated the data in the first place to even show that. So they've just assumed it's fine when they actually haven't looked at the data and what the data tells them. So the Workplace Gender Equality Agency in Australia has been collecting this data and for organisations who are over 100 people um, have to submit this data, except if you're government, um, <laughs> uh, have been collecting this data, I think, for the last 20 years. And again, there's somebody at Curtin um, who's, I think her first name is Rebecca, um, who has been doing a huge amount of research and around the data and kind of reading into it. And again, she is a legend and she's done some amazing things. Um, but, and, and kind of looked at the demographics and what that's meant over time and where, where you can quite clearly see people leave and how old they are. And anyway, it's fascinating. But if you're not collecting the data in the first place, then you don't know that it's an issue. So you're kind of head in the sand. But the, the Workplace Gender Equity Agency, Woodgear, for want of a snappier title, um, encourage all organ or ask all organisations to submit data in relation to roles, jobs, um, job titles, um, salaries, uh, bonuses, all kinds of things. And so you get given some information at the end of that about what your gender pay gap is. So when we think about when you've actually got the information, that's the first place. And then the challenge that organisations have is, well, excuse me, how do we actually rectify that issue without... Um, without our salary bill being increased so much and then we have to admit that we've got a problem because we've just upped this woman's salary by 12% and then our, sal our salary bill is on it all just, oh, what do we do about it? I think the, to my mind, it's you own it. Like every single organisation has a gender pay gap, whether or not they like it or not, uh, whether or not they'll admit to it or not. And I think that going... Yes, as I said before, you know, people don't people go to work to get paid and they also go to work for meaningful work and all those sorts of things. But people still want to be paid the same amount as they should be. Yeah. It's equity. So 
starting there and actually paying people for what they're worth. And even if it's a case of you have a plan with, let's say it's you and I, and Jason is being paid 10 grand more than Jessica is, then it's a case of, right, Jessica, we've made, we've realised that this is a problem. This is the way that I would approach it. We've realised that there is a problem. We can't financially pay you and uplift your salary to what Jason's is right now. But every six months, you'll get a bump so that in... 18 months time, you will be the same, right? And Jessica will quite rightly be outraged, absolutely allowed to be. And I think that it takes a certain degree of skill to be able to have a conversation with Jessica that says, this is the issue, but we're rectifying it. But also, what else can we do for you that means that you feel like you haven't, that yes, you've missed out, but else, also what else is important to you. So it might mean that Jessica says, well, actually, I'd like every Friday off between now and whenever's to rectify for some of those. So it becomes this kind of negotiation because there is still a financial benefit or a financial... that There's something in that for yeah. Jessica's benefit as there is the organisation. So it's about how you manage that on a case-by-case basis so that there does become that equity um, because that's ultimately what we're aiming for. Yeah. So that from a from an organisation level, to your point and your question, Jessica, that's what I would suggest that organisations do. You need to understand that there's an issue in the first place. And then it's about, well, how do we rectify this issue and what options do we have available to us to make sure that that's the case? And then I think there's also, from the male point of view, um, is especially if individuals have been in an organisation for a long time, then kind of salaries have been known just to sort of incrementally increase and potentially get a little bit out of control. So it's about, well, how do you also have the conversation with Jason that says, this is what this, this is the situation. And again, it takes, it's not necessarily on HR to have that conversation, it's on the manager to have that conversation, because they're the ones who are ultimately responsible for that, they're the ones who should have been making this decision, not HR. Um, so it's, from an HR point of view, it's about upskilling the manager to have those conversations with both of you that says, this is what it needs to look like. And it's not going to be fun. It is absolutely not mm-hmm. going to be something I'd roll out of bed in the morning and go, <laughs> woohoo, yay, I can totally do this. Um but it's at least, but anything that is hard is worth doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got away with being honestly lazy um, <laughs> and kind of hoping the problem would right itself. When it's not, you actually need to do something about it. And being transparent about what you're doing about it, I think, goes some way to getting everybody on board with what it is that you're seeking to achieve. Mm. Because you can't just fix yeah. the women. You also need to have the conversation around fixing the salaries of the men as well so that they understand <coughs> the issue as well. Yeah. Mm. And and do you think that we are moving that way? Do you think that businesses are doing that? Or do you think we still have a long way to go, in your opinion? Oh, I think we have a long way to go. Yeah. I think the, the challenge is always... Um, so, you know, we were talking about recruitment before. It's mm-hmm. like recruitment's like almost like the new start and we'll make everyone, we'll make sure that, the, you know, the lady that we get in is paid the same as everybody else. Yeah, but that's one person out of a team of 25, mm-hmm. you know. So I think, yeah, I do think we've got a long way to go. I think part of it is about acknowledging that there is an issue and that it becoming um, a topic of conversation around board tables, around how we're going to fix it. 
Um, but again, if if it was easy, it would have been fixed by now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I am yet to see. I think organisations have talked about doing things, but there's still there's still a gender pay gap. Yeah, still a way to go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and just on that, I'm not sure um, if you would have seen because you know you were talking about um, International Women's Day. Yeah. Um, there was a an AI bot in the UK. I don't know if you saw this. The, I think it was called the Gender Bot. And basically, any organisation who um, tweeted anything on International Women's Day about usually it's cupcakes. Be <laughs> um, fair, I do like cupcakes. I love cupcakes too. I've got some not coming for day, my though. party on Saturday, <laughs> but I'm paying for them. Yeah. I'm not getting them donated. Oh, dry smell. I'm not getting them donated by um, a woman who aren't just pay people, <laughs> pay women for what they're worth. Um, so, yeah, if they post something about the cupcakes and International Women's Day, then this bot would automatically retweet it and what their gender pay gap was. Oh, wow. It was oh. amazing. Um, and so the number of tweets that were very hastily deleted because... <laughs> The gender pay gap that was because the, in the UK you have to kind of publish the same data, uh, very hastily deleted based on um, yeah essentially being outed for yes 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 da 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 but we don't pay our women so that is great oh, I'm gonna so have to have a look at that yeah, yeah. do it was so <laughs> so good oh that's great so yeah yeah sorry yeah. you were, you were uh, gonna ask no, all good that's, yeah um so. Off air, we were mm. briefly discussing the DE&I and the recent decision around transgender athletes. Mm. Um, for those who don't know about this, can you kind of explain this yep. whole thing and kind of give us some of your thoughts on it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, so DE&I is diversity, diversity, equity and inclusion. Interestingly, when I was in the UK last week, they call it diversity, equality and inclusion. So it, it mm. depends who you speak to, yep. which country you're in. Um, but diversity, equity and inclusion is is the, the term that's used in Australia. So um, yesterday, uh, f- I think F- FINA, so um, the International Swimming Association, um, stated their rules around trans athletes compete- competing in elite sport. And it was... Um, I should probably say that trans sport is a is an incredibly um, how do I put it? It's it's the word I'm I was it's complicated. It's nuanced, and I think personally, I'll come out of the gate and say that I think that blanket rules around trans athletes doesn't account for that level of nuance and that level of. Um, complexity it's kind of like a one literally a one size fits all when one size never Never fits fits anybody so um and doesn't certainly doesn't fit the norm or whatever it is so i think um that that's kind of out the bat out the, the gate that's what i would say about it i think the the interesting thing um so essentially what the rules have said is that and i this is what i read and i read it quickly but was around the fact that unless and so we did have this conversation, mm. so correct me if, I was, if I'm not quite right. But it was about the fact that unless, if you had gone, if an individual had gone through male puberty, then therefore they weren't, they're not allowed to compete at an elite level 
in female swimming. Yeah, yes. yeah, that's essentially what yeah. it was. Yeah. So essentially, what, what the way that I read that is that an individual who is already having all kinds of feelings, emotions, compl- confusing, and, and in a world that I cannot even begin to imagine, who all I want to do and when I envisage all of these people is just give them a hug mm-hmm. um, because they'll, they're tiny. They'll be like the 12 or 13. And then if that individual is is swimming and they're enjoying it so I Darren I used to be a swimmer and kind of compete when I stopped swimming when I was kind of 15 um but you know if that's something that an individual wants to do but actually oh no well but no you you, we're going to need to give you some hormones now so that you can still do that thing that you really want as well as the fact that swimming is and most sports all sports are about inclusion and about people feeling welcome that I just I feel that the rules that they've come up with are arbitrary, unjust, and and paint everyone with the same brush when nobody is the same. Um, and I I they're kind of talking about it being based in science and and all kinds of things. And in fact, I I've got a, a group of friends. Um, I won't share what the name of our WhatsApp group is because it's a bit rude. But it's <laughs> WWC. And a really good friend of mine, um, who's also called Ali, um, I sent a message to the girls yesterday and said, oh, you know, I'd really, when we catch up, I'd really like to hear your thoughts about this. And Ali sent a picture back. And she was like, these are my thoughts. And it's about, you know, the kind of the principal thing um, is around, oh, it's about physical differences. But the picture that she sent me, and I think it was from a, from an article again, I read it quite quickly, is about the fact that you have really tall and really short basketball players. Mm. Yeah. And they still compete. Mm-hmm. And they still, it's about the, the physical attributes that they have mean that they are, how do I describe it? They've kind of overcome the disadvantage that they have in either being tall or being short, and they're still able to play, and they still are successful so if we if we talk about it being down to the physical aspects of individuals, and so there was something I was listening to on the SBS News last night, someone from um, FINA talking about, oh, you know, but they'll have, you know, um, trans women will have like bigger hands and they'll have bigger feet for kicking and all of these sorts of things. But then you could also argue, well, someone who is much narrower will go through the water faster. Yep. Mm. Again, I'm, it's not an area that I am an expert in, but it feels like fundamentally they're making decisions that are so non-nuanced that don't feel inclusive or fair. Um, and I think, so that's that piece. The other thing I would say is that I welcome the fact that there's conversations being had about this in kind of general society. So people will likely, if they've been reading the news, may have had a conversation at work about this. And um, and then that kind of starts conversations that people may not necessarily have had about trans athletes ever before. Um, so those conversations are had at work and then other people will overhear what those conversations are um, in the workplace. And then there may well be an individual who um, is going through um, transition or, or something similar and overhears this conversation. And and so thinking that conversations that happen um, in the swimming pool um, and at press releases, 
that don't necessarily affect work life are absolutely incorrect. The conversations that people are having out in society about trans athletes will be moved into the workplace and then it's conversations about well oh there's a trans person in my team oh and I think yesterday when I was having that conversation I might have been a bit rude about it because I didn't really understand it and what that how's that impacted that person who overheard that conversation and etc etc so I think having conversations at work about these things is really important because ultimately we want or I want I want workplaces to represent every facet of society um, because it's not fair if they don't. And the best work doesn't get done if organisations don't represent society correctly. Um, so, yes, rant over. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you put that perfectly, yeah. I, yeah. No, it's, it's definitely a very, very interesting topic. Mm. And I think like this, this is a debate that's going to go on for mm. a long, mm. long, long time. Yeah. Um, and I think the US will be, obviously being the biggest mm. market in the world for sports, yeah. Yeah. is going to be, I guess, the leader in what that decision Procedures. turns yeah. out to exactly. be. Which, they're probably not the best people to be making that decision or not, leading yes. that charge. Not at the moment, in, no. in, on the basis of some of the... Oh, some of the law, um, some of the things that they're talking about in terms of banning children from attending Pride Parade or mm. trans yep. or on it. Yeah. But I think from a sporting point of view, as I understand it, it's because the UCI, so the cycling entity has come out and said similar kinds of things in relation to trans athletes. So I think it's. I think that there'll be this interesting conversation that's had between the sporting federation or whatever you call them association um and then you know in the consultation and all of those sorts of things that comes out i just hope that the fina one doesn't become the precedent um because i think it's i think it's discriminatory Mm. um but yeah we'll have to wait and see but i think the yeah having conversations about it when the conversations are had about whether or not people can or can't do something misses the point in that these are these are people who have whole lives who swimming may form one part of it um, and being told that you can or can't do something is mean is is actually quite yeah. mean mm. yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure what else to say about yeah, it. No, that, really. that, yeah. I think that covers yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so lighter topics. Lighter topics. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to a lighter. Anyway. <laughs> um, so obviously this podcast called Break the Bias. Mm-hmm. It's based on this year's International Women's Day theme, as mm-hmm. Jess said when we started the episode. What does Break the Bias mean to you? So Break the Bias to me means two things it the first one means calling people out when they've said something or they've um they've said something or they've done something that how do i describe is from it so from a gender point of view is um they've said something stereotypical or that they've you know and and people just and then it's about holding them accountable so when i think about um 
individual so individuals this kind of individual situation but there's also organizations um so to me there's things like when breaking the bias around kind of a particular individual circumstance might be um and it, and, and, and to me it goes not necessarily just about gender but oh that i don't think that person can do that job or can do because of bleh. and so it's about challenging that assumption Breaking the bias to me is about challenging assumptions. Why don't why don't you think that person can do that? And so it's about having that conversation where an individual realizes that maybe their assumptions might be wrong. Yep. And then and part of that conversation around the questions is the kind of holding them accountable that I'm not just going to let them kind of walk past what you choose to walk past is what you accept type of thing. So it's about holding people accountable for the biases that they may have that I don't necessarily agree with and generally it's around gender um, but yeah simply put that's what it means to me okay. um, and then again when we think about so larger organisations so um, I could go with one or two options so to me I don't really understand why um, the large one of the largest employers in the country doesn't subscribe to the workplace gender equality agency data submissions yep. um and so to me there's a conversation around well why why is that i would actually be curious to know that as well yeah like, i would mm -hmm. too yeah yep yep because i get the impression having worked or having done some work um for federal and state government that the kind of the salary banding banding stuff is probably at least I hope is pretty good. Yeah. Do you know? Like I've I've just got this. If you're a level roles, six, you're a level six. You're exactly. Level yeah. Exactly. And yep. they freely advertise what they are and all those sorts of things. Um, but I just I wonder why. Yeah, you, mm. you you'd think they'd want to actually highlight that Correct. and say, hey, we're leading the charge. So, yes. Everyone else should as well. Yes, because I actually think they're probably in terms of. Um, demographics and a whole bunch of things I'd say that they're probably doing better than most other employers yep. um, but yes I want to know the answer to that question mm. Mm. and then the other one is around um, Rio's recent um, report that they've released around um, bullying and harassment yes. and mm. sexual harassment in, at mine sites and yes. I'm fascinated mm -hmm. to see what they do I'm fascinated to see what the government inquiry into that looks like mm. as well because um, yeah. I think that's going to be really interesting. Mm. And well, that's been an issue for yeah, issue a long time, and it's yeah. still yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and like it shouldn't still be an issue now. Oh, yeah, yeah. No. yeah. yeah. Um, slight segue. Mm -hmm. I'm good at Because um, this, <laughs> yeah. this is something we have briefly spoken about yeah. before. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that I see often, and it normally leads to a conversation in our office, mm -hmm. um, very rarely goes further than that, yeah. is... When you have panel discussions or speak lineups and that sort of thing, mm -hmm. especially from organisations that supposedly promote DE and I, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And there was one recent um, one where they put on an entirely white male panel. Mm -hmm. Was this the uh, Africa Down Under one? No, I didn't see that oh, one. Oh, okay. that no. was a clanger. Um, this was a very prominent organisation that mm -hmm. promotes... Um, women in a specific industry. Okay. Yep. And I thought it was interesting that they put on a panel that was all male. Yep. Um, and at first, my first thing was, I actually had a chat with Jess, but mm. I'm like, do I put this on LinkedIn and yep. call this out? Yeah. Mm. 
What's your opinion on that? Do should we be calling these organisations oh, out yeah. publicly? Yep. Or yep. 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 Mm. Because again, if you don't, then what you choose, what you pass by, you choose to accept. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. There's a more succinct term of using it, but to me, yes. So, because if they don't, if individuals don't know that it's wrong, or um, and and no one's ever kind of questioned, so there's a way yep. in doing it. You know, like I can't believe that you've yeah. done this. Rah, 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 mm. Keyboard warrioring. Um, where if if it's a case of I'm interested to know why this panel is all white men talking about Mm. diversity inclusion initiatives. Um, Then it at least opens the conversation rather than kind of shutting it down and this idea around kind of cancel culture type Mm. stuff, which again is another interesting topic. Um, Slight segue. I read a really interesting article about cancel culture a couple of months ago um, around the fact that when it gets to the point where people are keyboard worrying and warrior warrioring, whatever it is, then it means that the conversation, there's no more conversation. That person shut down, cancelled, da 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 rather than having an opportunity to actually ask questions, yeah. engage in debate, have a conversation about it, rather than just go, no, nah, sorry, yeah. don't want to talk to you, you're a meanie, mm. not interested. So to me, yes, it's an opportunity to go, I'm interested to understand. And if you, um, if it's a case of it didn't occur to you, then we have it can be yeah so to me it's about thinking about the most i always try and think about the most generous reasons what's the most generous reason that that organization hasn't um found any people of color any you know whatever's um marginalized minority groups to be on that panel and so i'll go well what does the demographic of the organization look like oh is it all white male then all right um not all right, no, but I can no, understand yeah. why. And so it's okay. Well, if you're looking for a list of people, then these are the people that I can recommend. And it's also about as a if I'm asked as a pan, to be a panelist on something, then I will find out who the other panelists are because I am well aware that for that I'm a white cis straight woman. Um, I'm 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 ticking no marginalised boxes whatsoever. Um, and so I think it's really important that the, pe- the, the voices of the individuals who are most affected are heard rather than speaking on behalf of, because yep. that's just colonialism, left, right and centre. Um, I appreciate I'm speaking with an English accent. But <laughs> yeah. so, yeah, I, th- I think absolutely it's about calling it out. OK. Because I mean, like having been involved in like the organisation mm. of a lot of different panel events yeah. and speaker events, that sort of thing. We've never found it difficult mm. to find a diverse panel. Yeah. So, like from like my perspective and other people I've worked with mm. in doing these things, we've always looked and thought, well, it's not actually that difficult to find a diverse panel on any topic that you can come up with. No. Um, except maybe gaming, um, but that's better now than what it used to be. Yep, and I um, would, I would, I th- I disagree with that. I think okay. that there's, it's, there are women out there. Yep. Who are. You just need to find oh, and ask the right people. 100% yeah, right, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think it's also accommodating for the women that actually you might want to have speak or the, the individual that you might want to have speak may not necessarily be comfortable doing it because they've not done it before, it, yeah. they've never been asked before, it's not something that they think is within their wheelhouse, you know, all kinds of things. Yeah. So it's about 
helping that person realize their potential to be able to speak about these okay. things and that they do have something to say because they absolutely will do. Okay. Yeah. So bottom line, call it out. Call it out. Mm. All right. Yeah, please do. All right. Moving on. Yes. <laughs> um, who are some of the women who have inspired you the most throughout your career? Okay. So throughout my career, um, there are three that immediately spring to mind. Um, one of them is my, um, I, yeah, she's she's still my work wife, um, a lady called Nicola Dollard. Um, she is amazing. Um, so Nicola and I met when I was at Jackson McDonald and she is, she's just glorious. She is fun, she is intelligent, she is curious. Um, she's all of the things that I enjoy. Um, and she made work fun and she made work interesting. Um, so, and then there's another lady again who I used to work with called Anna Hinder. Um, and she is, again, she's fun. She's intelligent. So the, pe- the, the women that I admire have similar kinds of attributes. Yeah. Um, so Anna is based in Sydney. Um, she and I still catch up even though we haven't necessarily worked together for a while. Um, and she she inspires me to be the best professional version of myself. Um, there is um, there are a few other um, women. Um, there are I have a group of ladies who I call they're my board. Um, the WhatsApp chat is called yep. the board, um, and we meet. So it kind of started because we were like, well, we're going to a board meeting. Um, and so we can go out and have a few drinks at the board meeting, inverted commas. Um, it was a good excuse to put board meetings into each other, each other's calendars. Um, and essentially we support each other um, around, mainly around work things, but we know a lot about each other. Um, and so they're coming to my birthday party at the weekend. We have a very kind of fun relationship where... Uh, do you know this person? This person's applied for a job or um, I probably shouldn't have admitted to that one. Um, <laughs> or um, <laughs> um, I'm thinking about this job. Do you know anybody there or can you put me in touch with or can you check? Can you just read my CV and make sure yeah. it's all right? I've got this issue. I want to apply for a, I want a salary increase. How do you think I should go about it? Um, so kind of it's yes, work support squad. Um, and so Annabelle, Carissa, Martha, Nick is, Nicola's on that one as well, um, Carissa and Mary, um, all of the women that I interact with, largely all the women that I interact with from a professional point of view are women who I just, I think are amazing. Um, Crystal, I feel like I'm doing an awards acceptance speech and I think of all of these other people. Like Crystal, who is based, is a friend of mine who's based in Perth, who works in the construction industry. And I honestly, she is a legend. She, um, She's a project manager um, and architect and all of these other things and, and deals with massive amounts of money and complexity in building projects in a very male-dominated world um, and does it with such class and such um intelligence and thoughtfulness um that yeah that i have so many um and i think my advice to other women is around finding as many as you can and surrounding yourself with them and meeting them as often as possible um because that's what makes the kind of the intellectual discussions and the chat and the support 
and help and guidance um, is so important and means that I feel like I can spend time with those women and feel like I've already done a day's work in the nicest possible way. Mm. So work is more fun and interesting because of it. Yep. So yeah, there's so many to count. So. Yeah. And I'll be like in the car on the way home, I'll be like, oh, oh not this, person, this person, this person, this person. Yeah, but yeah, they are my, um, they're my legends. Nice. Mm. Moving back onto the DE and I train. Mm-hmm. Um, what can business owners implement themselves to make sure workplaces are inclusive and diverse? So, not equitable, inclusive and diverse. Okay, so inclusivity is essentially what organisations should be, that's kind of the long-term aim. Because if you have an organisation in which people feel like they are included, then you probably have an organisation that is diverse and equitable. Okay. Yep. yep. So that's probably the place to start. And creating or fostering a culture of inclusivity is not something that's done overnight. Surprise. Oh, so, so I can't just flick a switch. Oh, and... unfortunately not. Like I can't even get a consultant and pay them a million dollars to sort that one out because again, the big. <laughs> so not a multicoloured um, no logo or a multicoloured oh. pinball table or anything like that. Cupcakes. Yeah. Cupcakes. cupcakes. Yeah. No. Um, Because the idea around inclusivity is around people feeling that they can come to work as themselves. So I, um, in all honesty, the kind of the inclusivity bit is, is something that, again, as a straight white cis woman, is not, I've never felt that I can't turn up somewhere and be myself. And I also have the kind of personality that I don't, yeah, you know I'm I'm here. Like I'm 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 not one that shies into the corner. I'm going to tell you exactly what I yep. think, mm-hmm. even if it is a always always. We know each other well enough. <laughs> so it's not necessarily something that I've ever had. I've never had that experience before, but I understand the privilege that I have, and I can try and understand what that feels like. Yep. But I'm never really going to understand what that feels like. Yep. So. I find it difficult to articulate what that looks like and how you create that because I've just kind of barged in and created it for myself Yeah. Mm. because I've been allowed to because I'm who I am. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when, for me at least, when I can't articulate how you do it or what it looks like, then I find it difficult to determine what you need, the steps that you need to do to be able to do that or for that to be the final thing. It's kind of like it's a feeling. It's mm. a very difficult thing to quantify. Um, well, some people might say it is, I think, or some some people might say it isn't. Like, it's it's somewhere safe, I feel, but I've never had that feeling where I don't feel that. So, So I think that if you think about it in terms of if inclusivity is the end goal, then how you do getting to that point, which is around thinking about, and again, I know we talked about recruitment, but it's the way that you get people in because you've already got that sense in kind of those people are already in your organization. Then it's about, if you are recruiting for individuals, then it's about, for a, from, from a diverse point of view, then it's about thinking about how and where you advertise the roles that you are looking to fill. So seek LinkedIn, an individual who is visually impaired won't be able to read your average website 
yep. won't be able to, may not necessarily have access to LinkedIn. Um, an individual who, um, another segue, I watched a film uh, earlier this week called I, Daniel Blake, which is a film based in the northeast of England by a, a, a director called Ken Loach. Ken Loach? Roach? can't remember. But it's about an individual who um, has to go on disability support. And the humps that, that the, the hoops that that individual needs to jump jump through, and who has also never used a computer before, so having to fill in a form and, and online and go to the library and all those sorts of things. So it's about understanding that you're the person that potentially left the role that you're seeking to hire may not look like the person that's just left. Yep. And so where do you spread and cast your net as far as you possibly can to attract the most amount of candidates and therefore the most amount of diverse candidates? Yep. Mm. Um, and so thinking about it in those sorts of ways can be a useful place to start. Um, so yeah, not just relying on the way in which that you've always recruited, what got you here will not get you there. Um, so that's one of the things to do. And I also think that it's about thinking about the role and the work that actually needs to be done. So when we think about a... Um, so, example, so a couple of years ago, it would have been a case of this person needs to be in the office at all times to be able to do this job. Really? Mm. Yep. So it's about really critically thinking about what does this person need to be able to do and actually which bits could be, again, when you think about job design, could we redesign this particular... So when you think about a particular team structure, so you've got three people in a, four people in a team, one person's just left, but you know that two of the other people in the team really enjoyed a piece of that work or a piece of work that that other piece, person that left that I'm not yet did. Yeah. Then thinking about, well, how do we actually structure this so that it meets the needs of the people in the team? And then see what else we can hire. What, what else we can hire in, rather than just assuming that we need another cookie, cookie cutter Ted yep. to do that. Um, so, having conversations with teams about what that might look like and how you might be able to structure that could be a useful one, because one of the things that I, again, in my kind of understanding around. Um, COVID and individuals um, coming to work is that that freed up so people not ne not necessarily having to travel meant that individuals who didn't need to physically come into an office who may not necessarily have had um, access or may have had accessibility issues in an office now no longer have those because they're at home and they're able to work from home yep. so thinking a bit more laterally and more creatively about what that could look like um, may mean that you're increasing the diversity of your team when you, if you have yeah. a new person. And then I also think when you're thinking about increasing the diversity of the people that are already there, and I know it's a bit of a strange one, increasing the diversity, but it's about... Um, it may well be that there are people who are in the organisation or who are in your team who may not necessarily feel comfortable talking about their entire selves. Yep. So it's about having conversations, honest conversations and psychologically safe conversations about people's home lives or people, what makes that up as yeah. that person, um, so that people feel safer at work and therefore that kind of 
um, comfort and that inclusivity that people or organisations are looking for can actually be bred, is that the right word? Or it, it kind of... Fostered. 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 Mm. That's a much nicer word. Fostered, <laughs> yes. Fostered, yes. No, that makes a lot of sense. Mm. Um, we've probably run out of time to continue this and we could probably go on for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. Could do like four podcasts, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <With> all- <laughs> um, but to wrap it up, mm. um, well, firstly, thank you so much for your time You're and coming today. I've really enjoyed it. Um, definitely have to get you on again to go deeper into some of those topics. And mm-hmm. Yep. Definitely. Um, if anyone wants to follow you and keep like keep in touch and mm-hmm. that sort of thing, where are they best? Um, so, um, I probably the best. Um, I have a um, a Twitter account which is. I mainly use just to follow other people more than kind of <laughs> spouting stuff myself. Um, but so my Twitter handle is um, at ali.local. Yep. Um, LinkedIn is another good one. I've um, so ali.local for yep. free. Um, or if you want to get in touch with me directly, um, my email address is old school, um, ali at camertonconsulting.com. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. You're I think we've got a lot to kind of mull over and um, some really interesting conversations, which, like Jason said, could be continued forever. But good. we will wrap it up here. Thank you so much for coming on and giving us some time and sharing your thoughts. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you.